decided to make another trip to India, I visited villages around Delhi in the southern state of Andhra Pradesh and in the delta of the Ganges in West Bengal. The many blind children I met convinced me that the statistics were based in fact, and the desperate poverty I saw in these villages helped me understand why so many of them remained untreated. My experience on that winter afternoon in New Delhi marked the beginnings of a personal journey that has yet to end. I resolved to help these blind children gain sight, and as a scientist I realized that doing so presented a valuable opportunity to answer one of the most challenging questions in neuroscience. How does the brain learn to see? Since my days in graduate school at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, this question had both fascinated and frustrated me. How does the confusing mess of colors, brightness, and textures that impinges on our retina every waking moment organize itself into a meaningful collection of objects that transforms into, say, the outlines of the arms and torso of a dancing girl, and the crisscrossing blue and green of her plaid skirt? The main approach for studying how the visual system develops involves experimenting with infants. Although it has yielded valuable results, it also has significant shortcomings. These experiments are difficult to perform. An infant's limited ability to comprehend and respond and even to stay awake for long periods strongly limits the scope of questions that can feasibly be asked. Another complicating factor is the simultaneous changes that can occur in related but distant brain subsystems as the child grows, such as the regions responsible for motivation focusing attention and controlling eye movements. Knowing all of this, in the summer of 2002, I found myself grappling with two seemingly unrelated questions. How does the brain learn to make sense of visual information? And, with memories of my experience in New Delhi still fresh, how could I help provide sight-restoring surgeries to congenitally blind children? I still remember the thrill of realizing that the two questions were complementary. One held the answer to the other. Following the progress of a newly sighted child could help us understand visual learning, and scientific funding applied to such a research undertaking could help provide treatments. I marveled at how well the two needs fit together, and, somewhat self-centeredly, how relevant they both were to my life. On returning to MIT, I described to my colleagues a plan to pursue research that combined these scientific and humanitarian objectives. Most were enthusiastic, but a few cautioned against embarking on such an ambitious undertaking prior to receiving tenure. I understood the risk, but I felt compelled to move ahead with the plan. I submitted an application to the National Eye Institute, part of the National Institutes of Health. I was a little concerned that asking a U.S. government agency for money to fund surgeries in India might be a non-starter. Also, the endeavor was logistically complex and lacked pilot data about its practicality. But the review committee saw the scientific and humanitarian potential of the work and awarded me an exploratory grant to establish feasibility. I was thrilled. This was my first NIH grant and it reinforced in me the image of the American science as a force for global good that does not shy away from encouraging risky undertakings unbound by parochial considerations.
The next step was to identify a medical partner in India where blind children could receive world-class surgical care. One ophthalmic center stood out, Dr. Shroff's Charity Eye Hospital, or SCEH, in New Delhi. It had outstanding pediatric facilities, and its physicians welcomed the project as an opportunity to help blind children and to engage in research. All the pieces were in place. Still, we needed a name, one that would reflect our dual mission of bringing light into people's lives and causing light on scientific questions. I did not have to think too long. The word for light in the ancient Indo-European language Sanskrit is Prakash. We now had a name with an appealing touch of alliteration, Project Prakash. We undertook the project in several stages. First, we identified children.